You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg, joined by my co-host Leon. Let's do this! Welcome everybody, the spook is in full swing, this is episode 98 of Ace Comicals and it is me and Leon. Happy Halloween. Yes, so uh, it's October now so I can, it's Halloween all month (laughs) (laughs) and uh, yeah I'm going to be, so in fact actually the next episode we do is going to be Halloween week isn't it? I believe so. Spook, Spooktown Central. Yeah. So you might get like a double drop on Halloween this year if, uh, if I, because I, I, I'm obviously I'm going to do the Afterlife Comicals thing. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So welcome to episode 98. So this is me like in full October mode. Last night I was like in full kind of like sank my teeth into it this weekend i've been doing inktober but i've been failing to keep up so i am doing it i'm just not very good at keeping up with it so it's like i'm doing i'm like four behind i think Ah, that's not too bad yeah but i'm trying um and uh we've uh yeah last night started with you know started light with the adams family uh i was drinking uh oktoberfest beer paul anna oktoberfest which nice. is a really great German beer. <laughs> and I was just, just generally just, just vibing, uh, watching the Adams family. And, um, obviously I'd had a little bit of alcohol while I was watching the Adams family, which resulted in me going on Amazon and being like, you know what? I'm going to order a glut of Chaz Adams books. <laughs> <laughs> so I went and bought myself like some, so I ordered some books. I've got some, uh, some Chaz Adams cartoons on the way. Which, um, if you know your Adams family, Chaz Adams, the guy who drew the original strips that the Adams family movie comes from, and that before that the 1960s TV series came from. Um, so this is like the original strips from the newspapers and stuff, um, and they're they're pretty cool actually. I've got a postcard book coming. Uh, in fact, I'll, I'll tell you what I've got coming. Just find me Amazon orders. Oh, I ordered a couple of Junji Ito books as well which oh, I'll nice. talk about on the cast. Yeah. So I ordered, um, no longer human, which is like his latest one. Um, I've ordered Tommy, a, uh, and then I bought these, uh, Charles Adams books. I bought Adam's apple, which is like a bunch of cartoons about New York. Uh, I got an Adam's family postcard set and I got happily ever after a collection of cartoons to chill the heart of your loved one. So this is like, Chaz Adams with his kind of like um in in his in his like sort of I don't know his art has this like macabre air about it even if it's not trying to be <laughs> so I don't know if you've ever have you ever seen any of the original Adams family comic strips or cartoons I, I have I have yeah so you you know what I mean like his art kind of has this kind of like macabre sort of like yeah, dark it- is it like on the people? I think, if I remember correctly, like the eyes uh, are quite spooky in a way. Yeah, 
like he he's always got like the dark thick lines around the eyes like mm. like like so everyone looks like they're either they've either not slept for years <laughs> or <laughs> or they uh they, they might be dead but um it's a it's it's a really cool like it gives everything a really cool vibe um and yeah i'm uh i'm looking forward to being able to crack those open um yeah and i ordered those uh those junji books as well <laughs> so that's my that's uh that's what happens when you leave me with the amazon app drunk um, hey, i know someone who when they got drunk they bought a cart off ebay so i think you're doing pretty well <laughs> yeah i'm doing all right as long as i keep it to just books <laughs> so yeah it was it was Chaz adams frosted with some junji for good measure um and then uh yeah so after that i ruined it because <laughs> i noticed there's a new film on netflix uh hubie halloween don't do is, this right don't it's do that this. adam sandler film it's an adam sandler film don't, um, don't do this Greg. don't <laughs> <laughs> i watched like half an hour of that like straight after the adams family which i don't know why i did that it left a bad taste in my mouth the algorithm you can't even blame the algorithm i know shouldn't have done it i just <laughs> ought not to have done it like <laughs> it would have been better to buy the car off ebay <laughs> yeah i should have just gone on ebay and bought a car <laughs> oh well so i only watched half an hour of it but it, yeah, it's you got a review for that half an hour yeah um don't <laughs> 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 that's that's all i can say just don't and and it's like it's really i think i think i i've i was still under the spell of you know uncut gems at that point thinking oh it's adam sandler maybe, maybe it's okay you know maybe maybe he's not good but he's like he's completely fallen back into it. it's like it's like gone back to the, straight back to the old ways like hey man uncut gems is not going to pay the bills <laughs> well I, I think it's done pretty well you know yeah like, but for for every uncut gems it's like one for you uh one for them and yeah. uncut gems was his uh one for him yeah uh just like um punch drunk love was his is is one for him and just like the myrowitz stories uh was one for him but then uh Nearly every other movie is the one for them. <laughs> and that's what that's what keeps the the lights on. Yeah, I mean, I remember a time when I was a, a you know a fourteen, fifteen year old kid, and I actually laughed at Adam Sandler films. Hey, if it was Happy Gilmore, that's all good. Yeah, I, I, I mean, great. yeah, we watched Happy Gilmore. Um, is it Big Daddy, the one where he's like? Is that the one I'm thinking of where he's yeah. looking after the kid? Yeah. There's Big Daddy and Little Nicky. Yeah. Little, oh, Little Nicky. I used to love that when I was like 15. <laughs> uh, I think uh, the guy who did Little Nicky and Mr. Deeds is the guy who did Who Be Halloween. Yeah. I think, so you... I think if I was, if I was a 15 year old kid still, if it was 15 year old Greg and Hubie Halloween was available, 15 year old Greg would be loving it. Yeah. But. <laughs> So what you're saying is that uh, even intoxicated, you didn't regress that far. No, not not f no. I mean, like it, it was it was okay. I mean, I could put it on in the background, and it it's Halloweeny, and it's it's you know has a vibe that I can I can I can vibe with. But it's not. No, just don't. <laughs> 
The thing is, now you have to finish it. Yeah, and I probably will one day, but <laughs> I don't, you know, today's not that day, so, and yesterday wasn't either. I might, <laughs> after this, after this cast, I might watch Adam Family's Values, actually. Oh, that's, see, that's what you should have done. After yeah, Adam Family, you should have straight, straight for Adam's Family Values, yeah. <laughs> I might do that after the cast, I'll put values on. Um, yeah, so that's, that's where I'm at right now, uh, vibing on the spooky stuff. Um, so, I mean, what have you been watching or digesting? Uh, spooky season's come really quickly in the sense that, um, I haven't done anything spooky yet, but I've got a bunch of films lined up, uh, for this month to dive into. Some I've seen before and then like revisiting. And some I've uh, not seen before. And it's a wide slate of films, so it should be uh, should be fun. Uh, mm. I haven't got actually. I haven't put any um, like fun old favorites on there, so I might, I might save those two uh, till like the end of the month uh, yeah. when it uh, when you're like in in the red zone for Halloween. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, like uh, I'm I'm dipping a toe into my spooky. Uh, it's like a really hot bath and. Uh, I'm slowly descending in as it it burns me. Yeah, and then there's me cannonballing from yeah, it. You just dived head first. <laughs> and like yeah. you bounce off the board straight into Adam Sandler's zone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but like, otherwise in, in the meantime, um I have been doing a mix of things, watching some non-spooky movies uh catching up on comics so those who listened to uh the last episode um where we reviewed especially me and rahul reviewed uh seven secrets and i also reviewed big girls uh i've gone uh, and read the remaining issues of those that have been released so far and yeah just um they're, they're definitely going, both of those are going in a direction that I was hoping for with their subsequent issues. And I will, will be continuing to follow them because, um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in where they're going. They don't feel like they're going to be big hundred issue arcs or something. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm uh, here for the ride. And at the end of, uh, the first batch or like volume or whatever, when a trade comes out, I'll probably uh, revisit them on the cast and we might delve into a bit more spoiler territory so we can talk about them a bit um, more deeply. Um, other than that, um, like where does time go, man? <laughs> yeah, it just it's, <laughs> How are we almost at the end? I mean, thank God we're almost at the end of 2020, but how are we almost at the end of 2020 already? <laughs> no idea. I think it's... Um, going to be a case where we're never going to leave this year but also this year is going to be feel like it was 10 years ago we're just going to be stuck in the middle of that conundrum you think you think new year's day is going to be 2022 <laughs> and then and then like then we've got 2023 and then we've got um 2020 the pandemic files yeah and then and then then 2024 after that and then after that, it's um, back to just be. It's back to just twenty twenty because it's a um, it's a, a remake, yeah, a reboot of the of the whole franchise with a slightly younger cast. Yeah, uh, people who are around around for the original twenty twenty will be in cameo roles as the parents. Exactly. Yeah. So so the guy who's playing Greg 
in in the 2020 reboot doesn't have a beard and <laughs> the guy who was playing greg is now um the guy who runs the comic shop yes exactly i was exactly i'll be on the same wavelength here because had you stopped this is exactly what i would have said yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so um I think we should kick this off with some uh, some of the comics we've been reading for today, shouldn't we? So I'm going to open this with one that we were given to preview. So this is a upcoming title called The Glass Wall. This is published by Soaring Penguin Press. Uh, and they were kind enough to send us a review copy of it to have a look over. Um, now, this is part of the 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 soaring penguin quest of uh, soaring penguin press have switched to a um, a crowdfunder a crowdfunding model so they're not from the i don't know if they're going for full crowdfunding of everything they release or if they're doing crowdfunding to subsidize so that they get more money up front for the creators and i think it's the latter because that's the way they make it sound on their web on their website on their press release type stuff. So um, they're crowdfunding the titles and they're doing that with a view to provide a greater upfront payment to creators to kind of like make sure that people are compensated fairly for their work. I yeah. think is what they're going for because it's um, uh, well, there's a like a way to kind of like redress readdress the they put it as it, the way they put it actually as a way to readdress the imbalance of the earnings of comics creators um because they the the royalty based pay scheme meant that people weren't getting compensated fairly and they they wanted to kind of change that so they're going for the crowdfunding thing so this is up on kickstarter right now um the note the the um the link for the kickstarter um campaign will be in the notes for this episode so check that out and if you if you like what we have to say then go ahead and back it um so this is a uh, this is the debut graphic novel the glass wall by uh it's the debut graphic novel of william robertson and yulia lapko so that's your creative team william robertson's the writer Lu yulia lapko is the uh artist so if i give you the blurb lucian's life is fucked in a self-obsessed East London where everyone is smoking, snorting, or shooting, where nights pass in a fog of half-remembered physical and emotional wounds, Lucian's been advised, no, instructed, that the only defence is to wear an armour of indifference. Then his best friend is accused of raping his ex-fiancée. Should he pick a side? Or is he best to stay out of it? Pretty heavy stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And um, I'm just going to say straight up top, it's a very, very well-made comic. The art in the book is beautifully graphic and full of expression. Like, it's, um, it's got a real cleanness about it. It's real clean lines. The characters look really defined and, you know, like, facial expressions and everything else come across, like, beautifully. And it's just, it's like a really graphic piece. It's really cool. Uh, it has a really cool look to it. And um, even with like these kind of like muted gray purple tones, because that's the whole book is done in this kind of like muted gray and purple, like, um, or, you know, along those lines in that sort of tones, um, there's no real, um, like, it works like that in that it's not fully colored, doesn't it? Um, and 
I just I just quite like the whole vibe that it gives off in that way. Uh, it's it's like um, it's like reading a black and white book, but it's I don't know. With, it, it, with some, yeah. some color, colorful flourishes. Yes, and and that I don't know. I don't know if that feeds the whole thing with like um, the themes of drug abuse and things like that. I think that kind of feeds into that with this kind of like purple haze over everything. Hmm. That for me anyway. That's the mood it evokes. And I was getting like real requiem for a dream vibes from this. Um, which will have uh, different connotations for different people. Exactly. So, I mean, the writing's great. The story's compelling. It's a technically fantastic comic. Uh, it's dramatic uh, as these characters seem to swim through a haze of drugs, sex, and mental health issues. The mental health issues, which are infinitely exacerbated by abuse of the former, uh, <laughs> I feel. Um, so, yeah, so this is this is like... Because it obviously you'll know from listening to me on this cast, I tend to stay away from stuff like this. And the reason I tend to stay away from this is because while it is a truly excellent piece of work, I would struggle with how bleak it is. Mm. And although, you know, I'm saying if you're into this kind of story, go ahead and back it. But for me, it just wasn't because it's just not I I I can't interface with work like this because I struggle with it because that's just isn't the type of thing I can deal with. It's very real. It's very close to the surface. And I like things that help me escape from real life. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that these things happen and that, and that this is like real life for a lot of people, um, that isn't good for me to think about. And like, I find it hard to deal with, with this kind of stuff sometimes in, in, in part of my own ongoing battle with mental health issues. <laughs> so it's like, it's something that's not, not good for me to read too much of yeah and it's it's, yeah. uh, it's a thing where um when you're talking about like uh, exacerbation um a lot of the times uh like what you feed your brain is kind of like what you feed your body and if, like yeah. if you're if you're feeding your body a particular thing uh after a while if it's not the right things you're gonna get a get a bit get ill and yeah. it's the same. It can be the same with like stuff that ha can have an effect on your your mental health. And mm. I think a lot of people uh, are definitely in the same position. And it's um, it's something that can um, affect people differently. Uh, yeah. And for some people, um, you don't you don't want to give particular themes or uh, topics uh, like energy in, in, in your mind, because I mean, the news is, is enough to, to uh, keep that, keep that, uh, keep that machine uh, primed. Yeah. Whereas um, other people can either uh, find stories like that, uh, who are in a similar position can either find stories like that uh, cathartic um, because um, you're able to see the beginning, middle and end of, of a depiction of that thing. And whereas other people, uh, some elements of, of, of things like that can, can, can be triggering and some elements of it are completely fine. So I think it's like quite a nuanced thing um, mm. that everybody has their own uh, mileage with. And it's, uh, I think each one's perfectly valid. Exactly. Um, and I, I actually, I had quite a, an abrupt like moment with it on, on Friday because that's when I, I was reading it. Um, the Friday before we recorded this, which was like, and, um, it just, 
don't know, like the, I got so far into it and then I just had to put it down. And it was like, the way to describe the way it hit me is like, you know, if you give someone um, something to try that they've never eaten before. Yeah. Let's, let's say, for example, uh, Marmite, because that's got quite a challenging flavor, right? So you give someone a spoonful of Marmite and they put it in their mouth and they have quite a, they're going to have quite a violent reaction to it, even if they enjoy it. Um, because it's quite a strong flavor. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that was what happened with me on Friday. But then I've thought about it a bit more since then. And this is where I'm at with it now thinking, well, actually the issue with it was not because it's a great book. Just the issue with it is the fact that I can't digest that. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah, that's all yeah. it is. Um, and that's, that's, you know, that's not to do with the quality of the comic itself. That's to do with me well, it's, and it's the an, subject con content. Yeah. That's the thing, like going back to like the food metaphor, it's like, that's yeah. your particular intolerance. And it's like, yeah. it, it, it doesn't matter that, uh, like, uh, nuts takes delicious and peanut butter and all that is great. If you can't if eat nuts, to them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, then you exactly. can't eat them. But yeah, no, it's, um, it, it's, it's still a great piece. And, um, as, as bleak as it comes over it's um it's great and i think i think it's one of those things where i you you have to finish it because if you don't finish it then you're kind of left halfway through with no closure yeah which it sounds, sounds pretty harsh yeah and it gets um it's like I find this, you know, if I if I were to start, like when I watched Requiem for a Dream, as uncomfortable as I as it was watching that film, I knew it was a great film, but as uncomfortable as I was watching it, I had to get to the end because without getting to the end, I've got no closure on it and it would yeah. just, it would wreak havoc on me basically. So yeah, it's one of those, but yeah, I mean, I, I fully endorse it and I think, I think you should check it out. And if it's, if it's your thing, if you like this kind of story, then go ahead and uh, back it on Kickstarter. Um, it's about 130 pages long. Uh, it's full original graphic novel. And um, I think they're looking to ship in November. So, according, yeah, according to what I can see here, it's going to be no uh, November 2020 they're looking to ship. So that's when uh, they're looking to... Um, get this printed and ship it to you if you are a backer. So check that out. It's really good. Um, yeah, I'm, some I'm great work. Uh, definitely going to check that out. Uh, as we as we had our conversations on this podcast, like my um, mileage for this stuff is 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 a bit different. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I I might lap it up. So, yeah, uh... I mean I I think after looking at the premise for it and everything else, I think I initially. Um, wanted you to read this actually, Leon, because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought you would. This is something that you would get more out of than me. And it's it's London yeah. based as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So yeah, um, hopefully, very likely, I'll, I'll have read it uh, for next episode, and and um, I'll I will be able to dive a bit a bit deeper in into it and and have a conversation. Yeah. Um... Oh, uh, according to the Kickstarter, Kieran Gillen likes it. Well, there you go, people. <laughs> He's back to it. He's a backer. <laughs> so there you go. Um, but yeah, you should uh, you should definitely check that one out. So that is The Glass Wall, and that is by 
William Robertson and Yulia Latko, and that is published by Soaring Penguin Press. So, next on the list, um, Norse mythology. Norse mythology. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what can I, I mean, do I really need to tell you why this works? So, the premise of this is it's Neil, it's Neil Gaiman does gods. It's Neil Gaiman does mythology. Is there any formula that is as tried and true, any combination of writer and subject that has yielded such consistent results? Do I, <laughs> do I have to say any more about why this works? <laughs> but yeah, it's a cool uh, kind of semi-anthology thing put together by this really fantastic creative team. Um, Mignola is, is in there. I mean, like... This is like an all-star, like the best of Dark Horse kind of thing coming together to make this, I think, actually. Like people that have worked on Dark Horse stuff. So, But yeah, so this is Norse mythology number one. So the, the premise here is that it is a retelling of Norse myths and legends um, through the quill of Neil Gaiman. And what he does here is he breaks it down into a kind of an anthology format in that he will tell... Um, Excerpts from Norse mythology in short, um, like, you know, like an anthology comic style where you get like short, sort of like several page stories. Yeah. Like, but he'll do that and he breaks it down. He breaks Norse mythology down into short, several page stories. And it's, although the sort of like the catch all is, uh, the catch all names in this are Neil Gaiman and Craig, uh, P. Craig Russell. Um, and then uh, letterer Galen Showman. So those three are kind of like the constants throughout. But then for each story, he's got like a different art team. Um, so in this book, um, it starts at the beginning. We are ex we are given some kind of like uh, context, if you will, and um, we are told about the World Tree Yggdrasil. Um, the the great ash that spans the nine realms uh and then we're treated to uh you know an explanation of these uh these wild and um varied realms and, and the things that that live around your drassel the, the snakes that gnaw at its roots and the dragon and the squirrel that makes the dragon angry <laughs> the squirrel that enjoys making the dragon angry and then goes all the way back up to the hawk and makes the hawk angry as well. Like a very um, privileged position, that little squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that squirrel. That squirrel, man. Like, I want that squirrel. Um, and then we, we, you know, we go through the different realms, what lives in each realm and everything like that. And then uh, we are taught about how Odin lost his eye and became wise. Um, and we go through the story, uh, Mimir's Head, which is beautifully illustrated by Mike Mignola. Um, and it's, I mean, do I need to tell you about how good Mignola's artwork is? I mean, really like, <laughs> yeah, it's just, the whole thing is just fantastic. It's just a beautifully put together thing. And I, am. Um, this is like comfort comics for me, you know, because it's Norse mythology. I mean, it doesn't matter how familiar you are with Norse mythology, actually, you're going to enjoy this either way because it's it's a it's a different take. It's a it's adapted for comics. Um, so, yeah, it's a. It's as simple as that, and it has such appeal and magic still. And 
you will have heard these stories before. I'm, I'm, I have no doubt that a lot of you that are listening to this will have heard these stories before. And however familiar you may be with the subject matter, it's a spin that will feel new. Um, and if you've ever sat reading Marvel's Thor books and wondered about how much of it is grounded in the original myths, then this is a book for you because this will answer those questions in a very kind of like digestible format, if you will. Um, it will be enlightening. Uh, it, reading something like this actually does evoke the spirit of Jack Kirby in in that this is what he liked. So this is the kind of stuff that he wanted to do. He He wanted to... He loved these these Norse myths and legends, and he sought to adapt them into comic form and, and breathe new life into them. He wanted to update them. I mean, if you ask me, these stories are timeless anyways. Like, all mythology has that quality. And I love hearing myths and legends from different cultures or different parts of the world. But I think um, I think Norse holds a special place in my heart anyway. Hmm. Um, and I think that this is the thing that it's it's like um, almost like tapping tapping into the spring of true spirit of comics in that way. Yeah. In that the beginnings of what we know as modern comic stories came from the idea of playing with and adapting myths and legends, which is something that Kirby used to do. So. I don't know if I'm making connections that don't exist. I don't know if I've tapped into something there or if I'm mining a vein of gold, but <laughs> <laughs> that's my take. So yeah, there you go. Something I could escape into and just love for what it was, I guess. I mean, you read this as well, didn't you, Leon? So what yeah, was your take? Yeah. Um, one of the things I was struck by uh, reading it is that you opened the, the book uh, and uh well, I read it digitally, so I scrolled to the next page and it's like, okay, anthology. This is what I've got in my head, anthology. And normally of that, one of the things I expect is like uh, these siloed off stories about a particular thing. And this thing would have been Norse mythology and different creators' uh, uh, like approaches to this. And what I was remarked, uh, found remarkable is that as I got through it and reading it, I know there that each mini story is uh, signposted. But then I got to the end and I was like, man, this is really cohesive for an anthology. And I know that it's because um, like the writing and script team were, were there throughout and it was the art that was uh, changing. But even, even the art, it felt all in league with what was in the book. And like looking at the pages, I can obviously see like when it's this person doing it and when it's this person doing it, but it all flows in, in a really cool way. Like, it, it 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 almost reads less like an anthology and more like the the first story is the prologue and then the second story is uh more focused on like uh the the, the machinery of the world in, in a way and like acclimatizing you to this place and then the the third story is like the beginning uh adventure or like story um and yeah, it, it's a uh, it's a it's a fun ride, and like you making the Kirby connections feels um, quite apt because as I was reading it, and just just the way the art is art is done uh, in, in all through the stories, it it gave me um, and maybe this is just because of my relationship with uh, Neil Gaiman works, but it it gave like this feeling of like older style comics, if you know what I mean, like. Um, yeah maybe like silver age or something like it, it gave me this feeling of like 
there's an there's an inherent colorfulness and energy and i don't just mean on the page but in terms of how the story is presented yeah um and there's like a clarity and a um a uh, like an inherent i don't know majesty because because it because what you're dealing with here is like like core myth and like norse mythology is like uh, goes back so much and it, it's uh permeated so much of like modern culture uh even beyond like say like the marvel movies and such like uh like a game i recently caught up and uh completed was uh uh, Hellblade: Senua's Sacrifice, which is uh, very much in in that in that world, and deals with a lot of the uh, the characters uh, who are, who are who are like the key people who are brought up uh, in these series of stories, and um, yeah, it, it has this beaming energy to it um, that feels quite fresh, and it, it it I know I don't know if it's like nostalgia to like reading the old uh, old comics. Uh, it it is very nostalgic. You're right. That's that's what I'm getting. That's 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 the that's it. It's very nostalgic. You've you've hit the nail on the head because even down to the lettering on the front cover for it, the uh, the logo itself, Norse mythology. Yes, yes, the logo. Yeah, it it evokes that kind of like 1980s fantasy kind of um aesthetic doesn't it almost like you know the annuals like if you yeah. had an annual from 1985 or something yeah or or if you've ever picked up a dvd case for like an 80s um like uh fantasy movie something like death stalker or something like that yeah. it's like yeah <laughs> it's it's got that like crawl it's got that air about it um, and the, the final story in the book, actually, the um, the one that sort of like leaves you on the cliffhanger for the next issue, The Treasures of the Gods, that one has this energy and this colourfulness, this kind of like Silver Age hop about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's the one that is the one that kind of like is comics. Like that is the one that's like, wow. Like the yeah. others, the others are, are, are works of art and they're great anyway. And they're, but they're very in um in style like the 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 mignola one would be at home as a, a backup in a hellboy book yeah yeah and and, and it, it feels very much that way and even though it's game and writing it's like it, it would be at home as a backup in a hellboy book and, and and it feels that way because of the way because it's it's mignola working um and the first one kind of has um a, a, it, it's it's very grandiose and very very in uh in mythology but the last one the last one ha is a bit of fun uh the last story in the book that's where the fun comes in yeah because this then, is low-key gaining yeah. yourself into trouble um, we're, we're meeting like a colorful cast of uh of people as part yeah. of this and and it's it's all over some silly prank it's like it's just a prank man it's just <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, like some people get drunk and put on Hoobie Halloween. Other yeah. people remove people's hair. <laughs> yeah, so other people get drunk and remove their brother's girlfriend's hair. So <laughs> it's just a prank, man. It's a prank. Um, doesn't it look like, and, uh, and this is not meant in a like nostalgia way, I was like, oh, they're just aping the past. But like going back to the point of like how it feels like a book from 
from an older time. It feels like it's a cleaned up version because obviously the printing techniques of older comics is different and they had like a, a, a texture yeah. to them. It almost feels like a cleaned up, like, I don't know, a 4K remaster of like that because it, 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 it does very much feel as like, like there's, as you said, there's, there's that Kirby-ness in there. Mm. And uh, it, it, I don't know, it has a warm feeling to it. Yeah, I'm worried that it is something that's been printed before. <laughs> and that we're just completely missing this but i i actually i actually went and tried to find if it was hmm. uh before we recorded this episode just to see because i was like i'm pretty sure this this looks like it's it's something that that i've missed from eons ago or something like that and i'm you know i'm now seeing a reprint of it i have to be but no it's new it's <laughs> it's no there's no i mean other than the fact that it's norse myths that have been around for yeah <laughs> But I think that's Whatever, a special but, source. You know, yeah. I think uh, Norse mythology is just it's just great. It's um, yeah. the 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 host of characters, the host of realms and worlds are all very rich uh, in terms of the types of stories that are told, and whether they be on the sort of fabulish. Uh, tone of there being a meaning to a particular thing happening uh, or whether it's um, like full-on cosmic uh, uh, fun times and I think that's because of the key thing where like Norse mythology is this cool world of like magic, myth and legend but um, it's heavily focused on character mm. um, and I think that's why these characters such as like Loki and Odin and Thor uh, work in so much different like tellings of stories because um, at the heart of it, uh, they're they're kind of like royalty, like annoying royal people, and yeah, uh, yeah, and they they each affecting uh, the lowly humans in, in different ways, and and Loki's way is fun because we we get we get to see him do awful hijinks to people. I love the the lettering in parts of this as well um and subtle things like um changing the shape of the um the speech bubbles the tails of the speech bubbles like loki's words come out like a hiss yes because his speech bubble has a kind of like a, a horrible um like smoke escaping a pipe type thing going on and then yeah. uh you've got Thor's speech bubbles ending in a jagged lightning bolt, <laughs> which, you know, his voice is booming because he's the God of thunder. Like I love little touches like that. Yeah. It's great. Um, and it just, it just like, it's so cool how something so small like that on the page can actually change the whole tone. And that's the cool thing about good lettering. Right. Yeah, um, no, definitely. Yeah. Like, Cause like, uh, uh, in, in uh, parts of that story where uh, the characters are interacting, there's a, a bit where something is like broken and it's depicted as like the word snap and like a star. And I think that conveys like the break and the pain so effectively. I, I would have never thought like <laughs> use a star. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's great. It's, it's like God that... pain as well. Yeah, God pain, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I um 
hundred percent on board with this, and uh, I I would love to see a project like this, but handling maybe um, Roma mythology or yeah, um, like even like uh, if they went for like stories about Hindu gods, that would be really cool. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Or even like I don't know, like I just I I love hearing myths and legends from all over the world anyway. So like even some stuff from like uh, s- like various African religions maybe and all that kind of stuff. Like I would love to see more of that. Like just just handled in that way where it's like a, a digestible telling in graphic novel or comic format where you could give something like this to um, kids at school. Yeah, and. This is the thing. Another thing this reminded me of, um, and it, it, didn't, it only reminded me of because of the function, is the um, the X Men comics. Um, uh, why am I f- uh, forgetting the name right now? Uh, the ones that retell the history of the X Men. Oh, uh, Grand Design. Yes, Grand Design. Yeah. yeah, it had. It gives me kind of that feeling where with Grand Design, it has to condense so much like confusing uh and at times belabored like x-men lore and it does it really efficiently but Mm. but in a way that doesn't feel like you've skimmed the moment and with this like like with the first story and it um like breaking down all the different realms and all that that gave me that vibe where it was done efficiently um but it didn't feel like you were getting the um, uh, the Cliff Notes version, like you still had the texture while while retaining the brevity. So it, it in a way it aided the uh, the grand scale of things, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, like it's I don't know. I just want to see more stuff like this that adapts ancient myth and legend. Because when I was a kid, I used to I used to have a book of Greek myths that I used to love. Hmm. Um, I mean, possibly sanitized versions of these <laughs> yeah, like for, you know, like, a because, because I don't, I don't recall reading about Oedipus, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, I used to have like this book of Greek myths, um, and I can imagine something like this, like if, if I came across something like this in a school library, um, it would have like totally transformed my learning experience. I think school. I think more comics in school libraries, please. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's that's kind of weird. I wonder if that is a, is a thing at all because I remember my local library um, for the area that I lived in. The that introduced me to a lot of um, uh, uh, Vertigo comics. I remember mm. like going in there and just looking through the comics section, which was it was small. But it was um, it was more way more than I was expecting. I didn't even know they would have a comic section, and that's where I, f- I found stuff like why I got onto like Why the Last Man. Uh, there was the uh, the Sandman spinoff, you know, Lucifer, uh, a, a bunch, a uh, hundred bullets. Like there was a a lot of decent like first trades in there that got me onto a bunch of series, and that would be really cool if you had that in school. I'm not saying. Uh, put, put Sandman in school or something, but um, like stories like this would be really cool because they don't really, yeah, talk down to you, but they're they're like educational, but in a 
in a uh, in a fun way because it's um well yeah because if you if you're covering the vikings in your school history lessons then something like this is is some really fun side reading for that yeah. you know um and it's not it's it's not like you're reading some dry textbook yeah exactly <laughs> yeah um like i i mean at our school we had a couple of graphic novels we had mouse i think in our school library wow what what did you get some comics high school or something <laughs> no no i went to it, it was a, a the, like it was like a, a high school in leicester called bosworth community college um and they had um pretty sure they had mouse in there and they might have had a book about the history of like comics and sequential art hmm. but I think that was as far as it went. I don't think they had much else in the way of actual graphic novels or comics yeah. on the shelves. Um, but it would have been, I know in the local library in Leicester, in the city library, um, they used to have tons of stuff. Because uh, I remember going in there and seeing it. They had like a little shelf dedicated to it. And I know that in the local library near me now, because um, where I live, we've got the... Um, the Aylston Leisure Centre, and there's a library in the Aylston Leisure Centre. And um, that library has... Because I've sat in there before while I... I think I was in there... Um, I was waiting for something, and I can't remember what. But I was... I, I, I might have been waiting for a class to begin or something like that. Something to do with a... Um, I might have been gone. I might have gone there to watch a martial arts class to see if I wanted to sign up or whatever, just to kind of like get a flavor for it. Yeah. And I think I went into the library while I was waiting for it to begin, and um, they had like a bunch of Thor comics, like collected editions of Thor books in there, which was cool. <laughs> so I sat flicking through those. But yeah, they they've got it's it's not it's not an uncommon thing comics in libraries, but I think that it should be sort of like more at the forefront because I think it would. It, I Especially think they're school good, libraries. Yeah, they're a good tool to get kids reading. I'd say. But yeah. Um more comics in libraries and and I I think this Norse mythology one would kill it in a school library. So, if I run through the credits for that, so that's Norse mythology and that is uh written by Neil Gaiman and the um the scripting and the layouts is P Craig Russell. Um, and we have letters by Galen Showman, and then uh, you've also got Mike Mignola, uh, Dave Stewart. You've got um, P. Craig Russell uh, doing art duties as well. Uh, you've got Laverne Kinzersky, and you've got Jerry Ordway as well. So uh, it's like a a full kind of um, <laughs> a full glut of uh, great creatives there, and I've got. Um, there's a variant cover by David Mack, actually, because you've got the original cover by P. Craig Russell and Avern Kintershki, and then you've got uh, the variant cover by David Mack, which is the one I have. So I've got the David Mack cover, which is, like, all kind of, like, uh, watercolours and rainbow colours with... It's um, it's Odin with the the, uh, the bird on his shoulder and the, the lightning... He's got a lightning strike eye patch, which is nice. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's a cool cover. Um, so yeah, that is, uh, Norse mythology number one. I'm going to move on from there cause I'm going to take you into spooky town. Uh, because this is like, this is the part of the, uh, the, the sort of like the Halloween books that come out around this time of year. We, you always get the specials 
Um, there's one that's on the pool list for DC, but there's always like um, around this time of year, you've got like the Halloween horror specials and things like that, which I, I, I'm a sucker for this kind of stuff. Hmm. Um, and I've got uh, Legend of the Swamp Thing Halloween Spectacular, <laughs> which is an anthology story, an anthology book about uh, Swamp Thing, which is like Greg times a thousand. Um, no other way to put that, really. So, Legend of the Swamp <laughs> Thing Halloween Spectacular. Yes, it's what it's all about. I love this time of year, and I love this, and I love my Halloween comic specials. Um, it's a Swamp Thing book. And it's 48 pages of pure swampy magic. So to say the least, I'm enthusiastic about this. Uh, blurb as follows. It's Halloween and DC invites you to welcome Swamp Thing to your witching hour festivities. In this 48-page collection of all new stories, the Guardian of the Green reveals past lives and the unforgettable horrors that befall those who cross his path. From ancient Rome to present day, Swamp Thing stalks these ghostly and ghastly tales, all of which are best read by the light of Jack-o'-lantern. <laughs> and I fully agree. Um, so with this one... There is a huge list of credits, uh, and I will go through the, through them all because there's six tales in there, and uh, each one has its own creative team. So, um, yes, these are wonderful seasonal, wonderfully seasonal monster tales uh, that will help you get into the spooky mood. And boy, did I enjoy this! Like, what a delight these stories were. There's some awesome artistic work here to pour over, and there's some really cool ideas in here, like encompassing the past lives of the Swamp Thing and the pervasive idea of death and rebirth in Swamp Thing comics. So the whole thing is he's, you know, it, it's it's about the life cycle of plants and everything else and the ever-present avatar of the green that, I mean, like, we know Swamp Thing, we know Swamp Thing as Alec Holland, right? Hmm. But obviously Swamp Thing has been more than Alec Holland and because it's the avatar of the green, uh, whoever is the next avatar of the green will have access to those memories as well because it's, it's, it's the avatar of the green. So that's, it's, it's eternal and it's just how it is. Right. So like, living, I mean, like living swamp, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's, well, he's the, he's the, um, in, in the, uh, the DC universe, You've got the forces of the red, which is uh, represented by like uh, Animal Man, for example, who can tap into the red and gain the abilities of various other living creatures on Earth, creatures of flesh and blood. And then you've got the green, which is represented by Swamp Thing or the avatar of the green. We know him as Swamp Thing. We know him as Alec Holland, but there have been many avatars of the green, just as there have been many avatars of the red. Uh, you've also got the the uh, the rot. Um, which is Anton and Abigail Arcane. Abigail Arcane is the was the avatar of the rot in the new 52 Swamp Thing run. Uh, and then there's the grey, which is kind of like um, in between. And all of these realms are linked. The grey is, is mushrooms, basically. It's the easiest way to explain it. But <laughs> all, of these, all of these realms are, are interlinked, like the rot and the red and the rot and the green and the green and the red, they're all interlinked. They all, it's like a Venn diagram, if you will. Um, and, uh, each one has a champion and they ebb and flow and they battle between each other, but there is a balance to be kept between these. 
forces on earth in order for everything to thrive right and um if one of them gets out of line or if one of them tries to take over the other then then that's when you get problems but yeah um so the the avatar of the green is eternal and has been many people or has been many has had many lives throughout history as as we know um and like the the ever like the, the the variation in imagination here in this anthology when you go through like uh, the different lives that Swamp Thing may have had, and like this works so well as an anthology in an anthology format. And you know how there's always like with these anthologies, sometimes these Halloween specials and things, there's always one story that we will say is weaker than the others. Like in previous years, we've turned around and said, actually, this is the weakest one of the bunch or whatever. Mm. But this time there isn't one. There isn't a duff among them. They're all just like, they're all really great. <laughs> um, See, it's always nice when that happens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's not one thing, like there's not one story in here that I can say is weaker than any of the others. They're all really good. Uh, so it's bookended by two Ram V stories. Um, and they are a wonderful look at the symbiosis and relationship between plant and man and nature and humanity. And the kind of intersection in of those in Swamp Thing's world and the way the other tales weave in between those two bookends is really cool. Um, my two favorites are Age of Discovery and Sleeping Giant, and they stood out for me artistically. Uh, Age of Discovery with its beautiful colors and the way that it plays with the medium of the page layouts, like merging um, the, the protagonist's journal and then panels that progress the tale so we start with like the, the the sort of like overarching kind of like bleed the background of the page is um the protagonist writing in his journal and then the writing kind of trails off into panels that display what he was writing about which is kind of really cool yeah um and this one is set like in the discovery of the Americas kind of time. So like conquistadors and things like that. And this is somebody who's gone along with a conquistador. Um, long story short, conquistadors get murdered by a living island, which is cool. It's like Swamp Thing cosplaying Krakoa. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, um, because this one and Sleeping Giant being about Puerto, Puerto Rico as well. Um, and about how, um, there's like a, there's like a catharsis earned from these tales because there's this common theme throughout the stories in this whole book of people fighting back against oppressors and invaders, usually indigenous people fighting back against oppressors and invaders. People trying to colonize them. Yeah. With the power of the green at their, at their side. Hmm which is really nice and really cool. Yeah. Um, and, and these people, you know, these people, it's the reward that these people have and, and the power of their closest to nature or the green. And, and, you know, through their seeking to coincide with it peacefully rather than trying to tame it or, or subjugate it in some way. Yeah. Which is really cool. Um, I mean, each story in this book is fantastic. I don't think I can truly say one is stronger or weaker than the other. Like I said, it's just a great anthology and it just, it flows so well from start to finish with these two bookends and everything else in between. Um, 
the way the way it's bookended actually these two bookend tales the way they come together to be to be like a an alpha and omega for this book is actually quite beautiful as well um in the story that they tell uh because in the beginning swamp thing saves a child who is lost in the swamp and at the end that child is an old man and the swamp thing is born anew it's a new avatar who who doesn't full who isn't fully formed or doesn't fully know what he is and hasn't hasn't fully accessed the memories yet but meets this old man who is you know he he, he this old man wanted to know that his life was worth it that his life was worth saving because he tried to make his life worth it after swamp thing saved his life uh, and he's telling the story of his life to swamp thing after swamp thing has told the story of his life to an ancient tree which is the story of you know all the different avatars through time um, there's a really cool one that's, uh, kind of set in, um, sort of like ancient Roman times, the Roman invasion of Britain, uh, mm. where they go to Stonehenge and the Druids summon the SWAT, this, this huge beast that's basically like the woods. It's like the golem of the woods kind of thing, which is the avatar of the green. Uh, they give it a blood sacrifice and it goes mental and kills the Romans. Uh, <laughs> and it, there's just some really cool things like that in it. It's great. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's something worth picking up for this time of year. And uh, if you're, a, it's a, it's I guess it's a hopping on point for Swamp Thing as well. If you need a hopping on point for Swamp Thing, but yeah, and it's always pick that up. Always good to see colonizers get knocked over. And exactly, <laughs> I love it, love it. Um, so yeah, so this is uh, the Legend of the Swamp Thing Halloween Spectacular, and. Uh, the first story in there is at the heart of the trees, which is written by Ram V, art by Mike Perkins, colors by Andy Troy, and letters by Aditya Bidika. Um, no sign of the enemy is uh, one of. Oh, I'm, I'm going in the wrong order here. The second story is Ring of Stones, which is uh, the one about the ancient Rome, ancient Romans, which is uh, Stonehenge, as well. Uh, I actually, I actually. Uh, um, I was checking on this tale as well because they were like, oh, um, it's the west. It's west of the River Avon. And I'm like, is Stonehenge west of the River Avon? Is it? And I'm like Googling, like looking at Google Maps, like there's the there's a there's Salisbury. That's where Stonehenge is. <laughs> that's west of the River Avon. Yeah, they're right. They got it right. They did their research. OK, <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by uh, Dominique Domo Stanton. Uh Colours by Jeremiah Skipper and lettered by Dave Sharp. Sleeping Giant is uh, the one which is about um, uh, Puerto Rico, which is written by Vita Ayala. Art by Emma Rioche. Uh, Colours by Jordi Belair and lettered by Ariana Mayer. Uh, Age of Discovery, um, which is James Tynan IV. Uh, art by Christian Ward, lettered by Travis Lanham. Uh, you've got uh, No Sign of the Enemy, which is about a Japanese soldier marooned on an island in the South Pacific somewhere and forgotten about after World War II. And he goes slowly, slowly goes nuts on this island by himself, um, talking to a plant that grows in a boot, which actually turns out to be the Avatar of the Green. <laughs> And this is written by Julian Little, art by John Timms, coloured by uh, Gabe El Tayeb, and lettered by Clayton Cowles. Uh, and then the final story is um, At the Heart of Man, which is the uh, the other Ram V story, which is the same creative team as At the, Art of, At the Heart of the Trees. So that's the bookend. 
Um, and uh, yeah, it's just, just a great, great book. Worth your time. So, last comic on the list, Leon. Uh, yes. Oh, in case you needed to know, by the way, Legend of the Swamp Thing is published by DC Comics. <laughs> and uh, Norse Mythology. I think I mentioned it up top, but it's published by Dark Horse. Um, so the uh, the last one on the list is The Department of Truth. Uh, I, I got really excited about this one because this, like, this is like my jam um, as far as like X-Filesy type stuff goes. Yes, conspiracy so, theories. Yeah, but it's like reverse X-Files, isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. instead of trying to prove conspiracy theories, they're trying to, like, make people believe the truth. <laughs> they're trying to stop conspiracy theories becoming the yeah. truth. <laughs> yes, because conspiracy theories actually have power, supposedly. So, like, the idea... So so this book is, is like, very cool and fresh. It, it, it's like a reverse X-Files. It's... I love this for the idea that simply believing in a conspiracy theory can generate enough power to make its twisted version of the truth manifest. <laughs> um, side note, I'm not sure I would trust Lee Harvey Oswald because in reality, he was an awful human being. Um, he was a massive asshole, an abusive narcissist who beats his wife, uh, who, or beat his wife, sorry, because he's no longer with us, is he? Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, so Lee Harvey Oswald, not a nice man. Uh, I'm not sure I'd trust him to be head of a department, so I'm not sure how much I trust this book. Uh, but there we go. Um, so it it's, it's almost has like this Twin Peaks colliding with an inverted X-Files thing going on, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll just grab you the blurb for this. So the Department of Truth is a story about conspiracy theories. It is the story of a young man named Cole Turner recruited into a shadowy organization within the United States government that makes sure that conspiracy theories stay conspiracy theories, a job that will push him to his own limits as he grapples with the nature of truth, history, the human condition, and the American dream. It's a conspiracy thriller told with a horror edge. And boy, does this like slap. I mean, real, really <laughs> slap. So, um, yeah, Cole Turner has studied conspiracy theories all his life, but he isn't prepared for what happens when he discovers that all of them are true. From the JFK assassination to flat earth theory and reptilian shapeshifters, one organization has been covering them up for generations. What is the deep dot secret behind the Department of Truth? And uh, this is uh, James Tienan. And um, yeah, it's just, yeah, something cool. Um, so yeah, so uh, questions raised by the first issue of this book and things that I need answering, but I'm not in a hurry to have answered because I'm enjoying the ride. Are conspiracy theories almost like tulpas? Do we manufacture our own truth? Do others manufacture truths and feed them to us to keep themselves on top or in power? Um, are conspiracy theories used... In fact, no, we know already this. We know the answer to this. Conspiracy, theory, conspiracy theories are used to maintain control of a population for some nefarious end. <laughs> and uh, are these people feeding off our belief like psychic vampires? All questions <laughs> raised by this super thought-provoking first issue that I loved. So what was your take on this, Leon? Well, yeah, uh, so like... This is a book that I was saying to you before the cast that um, when I was looking at comics to read for last episode, 
uh, this came up, but it was a preview. It was not out yet, so I was like, okay, definitely going to read this for uh, the next episode when it comes out for the next episode because the concept seems right up my alley and um, just like the look of it from what I saw, it had had a cool like fresh like uh, textured look that I, I was uh, like hungry to jump into especially the cover which is like the jfk with the x's over the eyes like i was like okay what's this all about so um so reading this uh actual book uh it is what i was hoping and more um and it even takes you on a roller coaster the first issue so like as reading it i was like um oh is this a thing where they're gonna be like uh, all these things are actually conspiracies, and I thought oh, that's kind of dangerous, or at least reckless, because like, uh, no, you're not going to say like, uh, for instance, like the world is flat or something. Da, da, da. But as, as reading it, I was really getting pulled in because, as you say, it is like inverted X Files in the sense that um, we have sort of like Men in Black style people who uh, who have the have the truth. Um, we have a regular i say regular because the person's still an fbi agent but like a uh, the person who's sort of the audience surrogate who is uh taken us uh, who's sort of in, who's been introduced to this world at the same time we are and on top of that you have a lot of like real life things pulled from uh and how like these different conspiracy theories um feel very different groups and uh the hierarchy in those groups and how it follows like traditional uh, hierarchies. Um, so like you'll have the, the masses who are part of a, a conspiracy theory and it's all like the regular Joes, the people who pump your gas and uh, who, who bag your shop in. I don't know why I'm using American terms on British podcasts, but um, uh, you'll have like the, the regular people that you pass every day, like security at the airport and blah, blah, blah. Um, and they make up the bulk and then above these people, you have like the billionaires and the type of people who are like similar to like the Koch brothers who like uh, fund Republican uh, uh, like elections and, and things like that. And these are the people who sort of run the, sh the show. Um, but just like with, say, conspiracy theories, like we had given this relationship between how this works in. Uh, certain certain terrorist groups like white nationalist uh, groups and how all this stuff builds up and how I think what, a lot of what the comic's saying are, are the things that you brought up in your questions, Greg. And yeah. the the key of it is like uh, the power of um, the power of belief in the thing and the the power of uh, the the want or the the need to believe in the thing and how that can be. Uh, weaponized by the right people uh, manipulating the right people and how uh, things like the uh, just the way that information is limited in, in general and how we have like uh, shadowy intelligence um, uh, intelligence I was going to say committees intelligence uh, whatever they are who restrict information in a particular way which which opens the door to a lot of conspiracy uh, theories and how all of this stuff is like intertwined on this this big web 
and how it's like I think there's a, an adage where it's like um, it might even be from Men in Black where it's like um, a person is smart but people are dumb and um, how if you group people together and you give them this feeling of like because uh, earlier on in the book there's a, uh, a, 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 a bit regarding like a convention um, of flat earthers and how Every, all of them have this like smile on this grin where it's like we have the knowledge that the rest of the world doesn't have and they're kind of smug about it not knowing that they've really can, been manipulated can be as smug as you like but it's not true <laughs> yeah uh, but like not not knowing really that they're being like manipulated and this this yeah. whole notion um, from the first issue of like um sort of like p- p- uh, personal truth or like um what was the Kellyanne Conway thing? Like she had a phrase that basically equates to uh, your own personal truth uh, being different from objective fact. And you, you have this, uh, all these all these things um, rolling together uh, in sort of like a pressure cooker. It, it only makes sense that it, it, like if we just have to look at like Facebook groups and how things like QAnon, how like if enough people believe a thing, it's basically real. Even if it's not real, it's basically real. Not only that it's real to these people, but these people's actions are now affecting people who don't believe in this thing. And we're even getting like politicians who are known conspiracy theorists on these particular things. And these are now people in power who have power over other people and policy. And it, so it begs the question again, um, like, if, if a lie is repeated and believed in by many people, uh, it being a lie doesn't rob of, of its power anymore, because yeah. now that power is being wielded by really evil and smart people to, to cause harm. Because it's only a lie until more, th- I think, I think that the, the, the... Like the way that the theory works with this kind of stuff is it's only a lie until more than a handful of people believe in it and then it becomes a truth. Yeah. So if you, if you've got, you could, I could walk, run around saying the earth's cube shaped, right? And I would be the only person believing the earth's cube shaped and people would call me a wacko. But then like, if I get, a thousand other people to believe that the world is cube shaped and I start running conventions on cube shaped earth, then it becomes a truth and it becomes a truth that these people will do anything to prove. I watched a documentary about flat earthers um, and about the kind of experiments that they do and the things that they, the, the, the lengths that they will go to, to try and prove that the earth is flat using their their uh, what they call what what they call scientific um it's to i mean they're not they're not scientists it's pseudoscience isn't it? yeah but it's not even pseudoscience it's, it's what they call scientific method but what they're really doing is they're using like that that they're, they're, they're using they're doing experiments but but they're only doing experiments that give them the data that they want to see so in a way, they already know the outcome of the experiment. They're just doing it to to give them... They're not doing it to prove or disprove something. They're doing it to give them what they want. 
yeah, to see yeah, they, they, so that they have something they can throw in your face as proof. But it's not proof. It's just it's just they've rigged that they've done an experiment that is that is rigged in such a way it will prove a specific thing. So it becomes but, like self fulfilling. Like that, there's a particular yeah. word for that that Rahul would know if he was here. That, yeah, uh, that I can't remember what it is at the moment. But there's a particular yeah. word for that particular phenomenon. Yeah, but that is that is what this is about. How it's these like people confirmation bias or something like that where yeah uh, we're only looking at these particular parameters when you run these quote-unquote tests and we know that they're going to give that parameter so it, it, it's real the world is cube shaped there you go yeah yeah exactly um and there's so much proof that is contrary to that i mean like one of the uh one of the things in this flat earth documentary i watched on netflix was um that they bought this like really like expensive like gyroscope laser thing um to try and prove that the earth was flat but it ended up telling them that the earth wasn't flat and that the and, and that the earth was moving around the sun or something else which is because flat earthers believe the earth's flat and the sun and the moon orbit over the top of the earth plate or something like that's one of the theories um and it, this just thing this thing just ended up proving to them that the earth wasn't flat and they just chose to ignore it and they were like okay so uh, it's broken or whatever you know <laughs> <laughs> it's like dude you just blew thousands of dollars on this thing and it's just basically told you santa's not real and now <laughs> now you're just choosing to ignore it which i don't know maybe uh, there's an element of schadenfreude there when you're watching it but <laughs> it's I don't know, man. It's sad. <laughs> but yeah, um, I mean, like the other thing this book does actually very well, like coming back on topic, is, um, you know, the way it introduces you to the whole conspiracy theory thing, like the side of it, like when he's there at the hotel and he spots the Flat Earth Convention and decides to go and see what it's all about. It mimics the way that ordinary people, ordinary people that have jobs have normal jobs do normal things think normally go out and vote eat whatever like ordinary people that how how susceptible people are to this stuff so like ordinary people like you and me leon could could fall down a um fall could easily be be sort of like led into a winding road that ends with this conspiracy theory stuff and by then we've already been primed before we've gotten to this this piece of information that will then seed itself within us if you understand what i'm saying yeah yeah i mean th this yeah. is the backbone of all these the, like facebook groups and stuff yeah and the stuff. insidious way that you're kind of like railroaded into it or led into it and i've seen yeah. it happen it's particularly As easy if you like because generally we're a distrustful people, mm. uh, especially because the, uh, the more and more different scandals come out and the more and more our governments and institutions let us down, it, it leaves a lot of space uh, for us to fill in, in different ways. And a lot of times it's, it's more enjoyable or at least more, quote unquote, fun to think that um, out and out corruption and... Um, stupidity is actually some nefarious scheme where there are quadruple agents doing a particular thing and like uh, you're one of the enlightened ones because you know more than the populace and like something everyone's ignoring this blatant thing that's happening look look if you look at this photo it it, it confirms but no one talks about this you'll never see this on the news and it's like 
it, it, it becomes this sort of um, uh, this like, like this engine where like and the more people who are in, in it the more you're building each other up and I, yeah. I, I guess that's the basis of cults as well I mean the, the sad thing about this kind of stuff as well is like I've I've watched people fall into the trap over you know like um, during COVID lockdown when people are furloughed and they're getting cabin fever and they've got nothing mm. to do but their phone or whatever media they have access to via their television. Um, and they, they get bored and they start, they, they end up on the wrong side of the internet very quickly and they get indoctrinated and they, they, they fall into these, these conspiracy theories and they, they fall into believing these conspiracy theories. Um, and like it's it's very insidious and it's very um it's very dangerous like how how it can just grip you in that way and i think this comic does a great job of displaying how that works with this fbi agent's journey from being at the same hotel that this conference is being held and being slightly curious about what these guys are looking at because it's his job to actually getting like sucked up the tube to the guys at the top and being taken on a hell ride to <laughs> to the south pole it's, it's to, like an, to it's prove the earth's flat it's an odyssey at that point yeah there's, there's, a, there's a line in there where he says we refueled multiple times i'm like whoa <laughs> how long are you wild. on that plane man <laughs> <laughs> and like the um the, the the stuff about how um that like when he gets shown the moon landing and it's almost as if like this is what this is what put me on the psychic vampires line right and i think i think the art and everything else helps with this so like the art like has this kind of like smoky realism as it is these like sharp fine lines and then like these ethereal colors that like fill their vessels if you like 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 everything like like the, the world in this book is made up of glass vessels that are filled with different colored smoke um, and then you've got like the light licking off it and rising from the page as if it was smoldering um and you have everything sorry I was gonna say, and you also have like this like aberration where like uh what what you think are like the fine lines that things escape them and enter them yeah everything is half experienced or half remembered like some nightmare you're trying to strain to recall the details of In including the speech bubbles where they do yeah. a cool thing where they block out the white for where the letters are going to go on and then the outline for the speech box doesn't meet the lines but it, it's yeah. its own jagged uh not really jagged it, it's its own sharp box and that alone it it it, it works so well with all the the, the texture and the the, yeah. the seeming like grain and aberration because, that you see on the page it, it's dreamlike because everything is so loose of form in the book the book itself is almost a half truth and you can interpret that how you believe how you please like when you're looking at the page um it's just like everything is engineered to give you that experience um and it's very reminiscent of dave mckean's arkham asylum work mm. definitely and what that does 
is that kind of like the way that goes with the um the events of the comic when they're all kind of like laughing in this kind of like hideous way at this moon landing video and it's almost like they're feeding off this guy's like fear or his energy it, that he's put like because he's he's projecting an energy by believing what he's seeing and they're almost feeding off that and like their goal is to get enough people believing in it so that they can feed off it and manifest it like they're some kind of like evil wizards or whatever or or uh psychic vampires and that you know the by what they can do is they can convert the belief energy into truth so they can they can make the earth flat or they can make it appear as though the Earth's flat, maybe through some sort of like mass illusion, or maybe 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 conspiracy theories are like tulpas, and and if enough people believe so strongly in it, it will manifest in solid form, like like the whole theory of tulpas, where if you project enough belief energy into like a, a, a um into a, a like if you if you uh, so that's the easiest way to explain this. You project enough belief energy, uh, you can give thought form and you can create a tulpa, which is like an embodiment of those thoughts, which is something that's explored in Twin Peaks and everything. Like if, if that's, that's like one sort of like, if you're going to, if you want to ingest this via pop culture, watch Twin Peaks, because that's the easiest <laughs> way to kind of get a good, a good understanding of how tulpas work. Um, but like it's, yeah, and, and then there's like this this whole way as well, like the, the demonic qualities that these billionaires have. You know, when he meets the Boulets? Yeah. The demonic qualities that those guys have, like, and, and like the thing that sticks in his mind is the fact that their breath smells. Yeah, and I'm just so like, rich. Uh, yeah. Yeah, their breath smells. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there looking at these guys and like when he says their breath smells, I'm like, I bet it smells like rotting flesh. <laughs> and then I'm treated to a reflection of them in, in his glasses where they look like demons. Well, like that page is like, like the, the, the establishing shot of the U S Capitol. Yeah. Um, that, that is just Martin Simmons. The artist just going off because it, yeah. it's such a good image. And it, the reflection of these these two they're basically the coke brothers uh it's horrific <laughs> yeah but it's it's like it just does so much for the the whole thing like this is like the horror bent that this thing goes on it, it's like it's i don't know how to describe it but yeah it's well, it <laughs> i think i really have described it but it, ca yeah, it captures just... a lot of like key iconography from this type of thing as well so like yeah. even having these two agents who the story's being recounted to who wear like uh, as i mentioned before like men in black style that like black suit with white uh, shirt and a tie uh, and then you have shadowy rooms with uh, suited white dudes um mm. uh, and a projector you have uh, a, a woman in a red dress with sunglasses uh yeah you just have a lot of these cool, uh, like, I guess, iconography um, yeah. that um, captures the weird elite sense of things and mm. the um, the sort of odyssey nature of this FBI agent's journey um, to what he sees. 
Mm. And that that um, that woman in red, when she appears, she seems to appear at pivotal moments when people are going to be seeing something. Mm. Like she is like part of the whole. Um, maybe she's these half truths made manifest, like the human form of the. I don't know, but it's like the whole idea of a shared psychic experience that is explored within this book. It's. Uh, it's just something else. It's great. And like, I, I read this and I instantly go back to those scenes from the X-Files where, um, the smoking man, uh, <laughs> is in a room full of like top FBI white guys all sitting around in the dark with cigars or whatever, just like, mm, Fox Mulder's getting a bit close to this now, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's fun. I mean, like the, the the thing is, it's fun to experience this kind of stuff through a story like this, and it's fun to experience this through the lens of the X Files when Mulder and Scully are investigating it. But what you got to remember is that, like, this is like a, a very real thing for a lot of people, and it it it's like this is like the, the, the real horror is the fact that this is like very real and very dangerous conspiracy theories that people are like falling prey to. Like, like you've mentioned QAnon and like in the book, the flat earth thing and whatever, like it's, and the, the pr proliferation of these conspiracy theories that these conspiracy theories have enjoyed throughout, um, like the lockdown period, like worldwide, when people have been furloughed and going stir crazy in their homes with access to nothing but the internet and having to like, um, entertain themselves somehow or whatever, and just falling, just, just, you know, like not even falling into it, like just, 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 just being led down the wrong path, hmm. like via some Facebook group or whatever, or, and, and, and then falling into this stuff. And it's just, it's, it's, it's out there and it's dangerous and you know, you've got it, you've got to approach everything you read with a critical mind and you've got to look at it from both sides. And that's, I guess. and that's what I think makes this so novel because we've had a million stories where these, uh, deep agents, um, are un uncovering all these conspiracies or they're like the welcome, the new person. And it's like, yeah, aliens are real and da, da, da. And I love the thing of this is like, uh, like science is real and none of these conspiracies are true. <laughs> But yeah. pe people believing in them and, and getting more and more people to believe them will make them true. And I think that's such a cool way to start off uh, a story like this. And it makes it me is. really interested to see where this goes. And like I was mentioned before, yeah. it has all the iconography from all these things, but they're like used in in a different way or used yeah. to reinforce. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, where they go uh, in this story, because I think that... Um, as our many excursions during this chat has proved, there's, there's just, it's a very fertile ground to oh, it is. explore yeah. this type of type of thing. And I think that the creative team are working hand in hand to do something special. Yeah. And um, I think I think the story and uh, the way that because uh, there's a point of this where we're going through the agent story because the the first issue reads uh, is quite like a flashback to get us to where we are at the start and. Um, I was thinking like, man, I, I could I could just read this for ages, like forever, mm. because I like the idea of where we're just going deeper and deeper into this rabbit hole. And I, I think that the storytelling is, is really good in that way. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, I, I've already gone off about how much I, I love the art and I love the style. And I think it's not just I love the, the art style. I, I think it perfectly 
suits the story that they're trying to tell. And I think that um, as well, like, I think the, the, the lettering and, and how, how speech and how information is conveyed um, mm. is done, done really well. And all, all of it, like I said before, it, it reinforces the, the, the story that they're telling in it. It keeps yeah. everything feeling um, thematically on, on the same page. So I'm really interested to see where they go. Exactly. More of this. And um, maybe one day uh, we'll get to do like a huge deep dive. Yes, that'd be great. Because that would be fun. Um, and we could all put our black suits on and we can all sit there. And... <laughs> <laughs> like, what makes me so sad is the fact that this exists in the first place, in, that, this, that, this, that this can exist in the first place, that we live in a world where we have to prove to people that the truth is true. <laughs> Hey man, look, and I, I remember what the uh, the term was. It's alternative facts. That's what Kellyanne Conway, <laughs> what Kelly, Kellyanne Conway said. <laughs> I hate that. I hate that when these people come on television and they're just like, "Well, that's just what you believe," and I'm just like, "Oh, shut up, please! You're just you you're feeding people this 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 junk, and it's it's turning the world upside down. Not even slowly, and I hate it." But yeah, um, so that is The Department of Truth. And uh, that is written by uh, James Tynan, uh, art by Martin Simmons, lettered by Ade Chibidika. Um, the design by Dylan Todd and edited by C. Fox. And that is published by Image Comics. So I, I, I fully recommend going out and grabbing that. A um, couple of cool covers for it. Um, there is like, um, there's some really nice variants going on, actually. There's one that is the opposite to the main cover. So you've got the main cover, which is uh, Kennedy. And then the opposite of that is a photo of Lee Harvey Oswald instead. Um, but yeah, uh, that's, it's great. Yeah, and there's a lot of this. Uh, there's a lot of this imagery of this uh, this woman in red going around, which I'm I'm interested to to know what she's all about. And there's one uh, there's one cool cover where she's doing the um, the famous uh, Marilyn Monroe thing with the skirt. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> which uh, which I quite liked. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, which which kind of feeds into the whole Kennedy thing again with the Monroe stuff. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm down with all that. Um, so, pull this time. Uh, so yeah, so these are your spooky pulls for the next two weeks. So October the fourteenth, um, we've got Rorschach number one. <laughs> it's here. <laughs> it's here. Yeah, I sent. I think I uh, I sent you a WhatsApp this morning, didn't I, with a preview off the yeah. DC site? Yeah. Um, make of Have that you... what you will. Have you ordered your uh, your beans to it out of the can as you read it? <laughs> I'm just going to go and buy a can of Heinz from the shop across the road. And I'm going to heat it up on the hob. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna light the hob, put the can directly on the flame. Get your mask I'm, on. Yeah, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to narrate how the beans are heating up and how that represents a failing of society or something. <laughs> and, you know, how Too we all live in a, yeah, too many liberals, how we all live in a broken world and how my backyard is full of dead dogs and rotting meat or I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Rorschach number one. If you want to buy it after I mean like we don't need this, do we? We don't. Yeah, I guess we don't need anything there. So like I I think that 
Like I, I don't. I'm not a fan of any of this revisiting of Watchmen stuff. As, as no. you, we've, people who listen to the cast should know from our Watchmen episodes. Yeah. But I never want to say like don't do a particular thing because it's like yeah. even if it is a dirty grab because Watchmen stuff sells. Um, like Tom King is the writer on this, so I mean there there, there could be some as, as well as the money they gave him to make it. There, there could be a reason why he yeah. said, you know what? Yes. yes. <laughs> There's a lot of, I mean, like, I, I you know, I, I, I believe in Tom King to, to take the, the Harvey Dent thing. <laughs> I believe in Tom King, but is this, is this Tom King living long enough to see himself become the villain? <laughs> I don't know. You'll have to find out by buying Rorschach number one. <laughs> uh, other than that, there's the, uh, an original dra- uh, graphic novel, which I'm looking really forward to, which is called Dracula Motherfucker. Okay. Um, this is, uh, so I'll just read you the blurb. So this is a, 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 an image comics thing. This comes out on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday, 16th of October. So this is, uh, is it Wednesday 16th? Yeah, it is. No, no. Wednesday 13th of October, 14th of October. What, what year is this? Wednesday 14th <laughs> of October. Yeah. So Vienna, 1899, Dracula's brides nail him to the bottom of his coffin. Los Angeles, 1974. An aging starlet decides to raise the stakes. Crime scene photographer Quincy Harker is the only man who knows how it, who knows it happened. But will anyone believe him before he gets his own chalk outline? And are Dracula's three brides there to help him or use him as bait? A pulpy, pulse-pounding graphic novel of California psych horror from acclaimed creators Alex DeCampi and Erica Henderson. Uh, yeah, it's it's got this whole kind of like 70s um, grindhouse movie... Um, like black exploitation thing going on, which I'm I'm really into. So that looks great, uh, and that is Dracula, motherfucker. Uh, we've got DC: The Doomed and the Damned, which is the um, that is your your DC Halloween special anthology thing. So this is like uh, the, the 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 thing they do where they the yearly Halloween specials, and it's got. It's got Man Bat on the cover. It was a dark and stormy night when the creatures of the DC universe began to emerge from their lairs into the cool evening air. Tales of the macabre, the murderous, a spine-chilling special about monsters and mayhem. What happens when Batman encounters a true urban legend after speaking its name three times in a mirror? Or when Madame Xanadu enlists the help of Man Bat to take down a shadowy spectre? And who can stop an intergalactic demon from turning people into frogby? Only the unlikely team-up of Green Lantern and Etrigan. <laughs> All this and seven more fantastic <laughs> tales to trick your treats and bob your apples. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> now it's right up your alley. Yes, please. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, of course, we've got uh, The Devil's Red Bride number one, which if you go back to our previous episode, we previewed that. And that is a, a, a really cool samurai cinema thing coming from Vault Comics that you should definitely check out. Uh, October 21st, we've got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 110, which I'm excited for because something to do with pigs biker, a piggy biker gang. Um, it just sounds kind of cool. It's like, this is, this is this whole thing now where like, um, Sophie Campbell is just exploring Mutant Town and it's so much potential there because like, this is like a huge portion of New York that has now been mutated. And there's all these different factions and people just living in mutant town as they were living before when they were living in the big apple. And, um, 
it's just it's just such fertile ground for like cool mini stories and that's what we're getting right now and i quite like it so uh rafael and alopex uh, Alope- i can i can't talk rafael and alopex come face to face with a new group of mutant bikers intent on doing things their own way will the road hogs be friend or foe and you just know with a name like road hogs they're either led by a pig or they are pigs yeah so <laughs> there's there's no way that's not, not yeah exactly maybe maybe they're led by uh Biebs. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's Bebop. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. But yeah, Team NT 110. So Batman White Knight presents Harley Quinn, uh, which is like a, a Harley Quinn one shot from the White Knight uh, end of things. Um, so the Joker's dead. Bruce Wayne's behind bars. Gotham is just starting to redefine itself without Batman as Harley Quinn struggles to adjust to her new life as the mother of Jack Napier's twins, an elusive mastermind called the producer seizes the moment to assemble a crew of villains, starting with the starlet, a serial killer who murders Gotham's golden age film stars in homage to their silver screen roles. Uh, when a recent gruesome crime scene suggests a connection to the Joker, the GTO, the FBI and, and, and FBI agent Hector Quimby turns to Harley as the one person with information that could crack the case. With some help from Bruce, Harley agrees to investigate. But to protect her children and her city from a final fatal act, Harley must flirt with madness and confront her own past. So, yeah, because Harley Quinn is in the in the white knight side of things. Harley Quinn's kind of gone straight. Yeah. So she's like on the good side of things at the minute. Um, we have Werewolf by Night, which is uh, Marvel kind of like reviving a, a, one of their old horror tales. You know how like Marvel did like the Dracula stuff? Well, they used to do Werewolf comics as well. They used to do a comic called Werewolf by Night. And this is Werewolf by Night coming back, basically. Um, and um, this is uh, this has Taboo working on it with the Black Eyed Peas. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> it's written by Taboo, yeah. So... Um, that's something that I'm looking forward to because I want some werewolf comics. So yeah, I'm going to be getting on that. That's werewolf by night. Uh, there's a June comic starting, which is like a prequel, like a June prequel comic, but it's like a prequel to the original story. Yeah. So it's set in the, the years leading up to the Hugo and Nebula award winning June. And now they've got even more time to complete that. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, who knows what's happening right now with feature films. It's a sad, sad state of affairs. But um, yeah, so this is this is a June uh, prequel comic. So uh, if you're looking for a June fix in lieu of the fact that you can't go to the cinema, check this out. Um, and then we have uh, the chi- a, a one shot from Archie Comics: The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina Presents Madam Satan Number One, which is uh, another Greg comic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, from the world of the hit series, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, comes Madam Satan. The Queen of Hell has had enough playing second fiddle to the devil himself and is ready to take matters into her own hands. Will Madam Satan prove herself to be the most powerful being in the underworld? Find out in this terrifying one-shot tale. I'm here for this. <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, there's a really nice variant cover for it, which uh, is um, Robert Hack, which is the... Uh, the artist from the uh, chilling, the uh, chilling tales Sabrina comics that we've talked yeah. about on the cast. So I am in for that, uh, and that wraps up the pull list. So um, 
That has been Ace Comicals episode number 98. You can find us in all the usual places. That's www.acecomicals.com, which is kind of the hub for everything that we do. Uh, anywhere that you can find a podcast, you will find us. So that's like iTunes, um, places like Stitcher, Castro. Um, you can find us on... or uh, I, I can't, What is wrong with me today? <laughs> <laughs> My jaw's all dislocated. Um, you can find us on... Um, spotify pretty much anywhere uh you can find us on twitter to interact with us at ace comicals which is the place where we're most active we're on other social media places but twitter is the place where we're most active um so you can at us on there you can get involved in the conversation dm us um tell us what you think about if you've read what we're talking about tell us what you think um we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to hear your opinions get involved in the stories um and uh yeah you can find me on twitter under abato that's b-a-t-t-o-u you can send us direct emails to w uh to acecomicals at gmail.com leon where can we find you you can find me on twitter at uh uh almost said at ace comicals at uh, leon everett and i'm not sure when it's dropping but i was recently on an episode of uh secret of sailor madness who is uh a podcast done by a friend of the pod uh Niall Flanagan and his cohort Dwayne. Um, I'm not sure when that episode drops, but it'll probably be before the next episode of Ace Comicals. Um, but otherwise, uh, keep an eye out for that. Yes, get you some sorts. Some Secret of the Sailor Madness is a fantastic oh, podcast uh, about. And uh, I forgot to say, we were talking about the final season of Samurai Jack, and uh, yes. I had been on their previous episode almost five years to the day of that recording where we talked about the first four uh, series, uh, seasons of that show. So it, it felt good to go back mm. and, and wrap, wrap it all up. Yeah. Um, Secret of the Sailor Madness is where you go if you want a podcast about cartoons that move. So <laughs> we're your static cartoons. Listen to Sotsum if you want podcasts about cartoons that move. It's a great cast. I've appeared in a few episodes of that, actually, prior to starting Ace Comicals. So uh, it's, a good, it's a good thing to hit. It's a good thing to listen to. Go check it out. Um, and uh, yeah, um, that wraps us up. So that's Ace Comicals 98 over and out.